Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. How are you all doing? Love you guys. Sorry, it's coming out on a Friday. Work has been insanely busy. Um, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Uh, all really, really good things. Um, and I'm super excited for this podcast. Uh, it's not common that you find people with very, very similar beliefs. And not only not very similar beliefs, but people that are as, that are as passionate about those beliefs as you are. Um so it was very interesting and kind of really opened up my mind in a lot of different ways. And I'm super excited to share that all with you guys. But uh, as always, if this is the first time you're hearing this, please smash that subscribe button. I really do appreciate the support and growing the podcast. Uh, I'm starting to hear from people all over the place, uh, all over the country, even other parts of the world. Um, I'm starting to get messages about the podcast and it's growing. And I can't even begin to express the gratitude that that makes me feel. Um, I'm super appreciative of you guys always tuning in and listening. People that I never even thought would listen are listening. And uh, that's that's amazing in my eyes. So huge thank you guys. Um, if you haven't already, though, smash that subscribe button. Um, as always, just things are always in the works. Uh, working on the website, I'm hopefully... I know I, I keep lying to you guys because I keep saying the website's going to be done soon. But uh, I think next week I'm just going to hammer down and, and really finish up the website. Um and that's really pretty much it. Um, just I appreciate the support, guys. I really do. Uh, my guest, my guest, my guest today is my friend Mer- Meredith Narisi. I can't speak. Jesus Christ! This is what happens when you have coffee. Um, and she's just an amazing woman with so many different great values, and she's just out there looking to change people's lives and having a conversation with her is so warming. Uh, in so many different aspects, it's almost hard to describe. But uh, without any further ado, please welcome my friend Meredith Narisi. are trying not to say the word um in sentences your your brain you have to be so attuned to taking that pause to not say um or uh or something like that because you know unless you really 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 practice you're just it's just not because your brain needs time to catch up and that's your way your brain of brain's way of filling that gap Mm -hmm. of of, because especially on, on this people think i i need to say something the entire time like oh it's my turn to talk I need. To, I, I just need to keep rolling and rolling and rolling and, and not gonna stop. And um and this and this and that. Relax. It's all good. We ain't going anywhere for a little while. We got some time. Good. We got some time. So uh, how are you today? I'm good. How was the trip? Good. It was good. good. Yes. Very good. Um, but that's that's the um part. See, even I even I say it. I'm I'm what I'm almost I'm sh- I'm shy of a hundred by a little bit, but a uh, hundred episodes, not of age, and uh, and. I still say it, you know, there's, there's no, there's no way to get over it. You know, it's mm-hmm. just I practice, guess practice, people practice. will edit it out after a while. Yes. It. Yes. Uh, I have a friend of mine who, who does some editing for a couple podcasts and he's like the amount of ums or ahs or oohs or whatever it is, or people's placeholders or, or they, they pause for so long because they're trying to formulate their next thought that he's like, it is daunting mm-hmm. to professionalize this podcast 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, hey, you know what? That's you know that's why you have a job, and that's why some of us have jobs and and whatnot to to help people do that because it's it's very time consuming. Because think about it, podcast is an hour and a half long. It's a lot of ums and ahs and to to chop up. <laughs> but uh, all right, so the seven veils. I guess do you want to just start right there and we'll just go right through it because I'm very curious. Or the PTP at the end. Start with the seven veils. All right. I think that'll get their attention more. So your book is The Seven Veils, Mystical Secrets of a Feminine Path to Enlightenment. What is what is that? What does it mean? Because I, mean, I have no idea what that means to me. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason why I didn't do too much research on it. It's because I wanted to go in so blind so I could be educated and not have skewed information. Okay. Is that a lot? That's great. <laughs> yeah. So... um the seven veils came to me kind of as a surprise oh. because I thought it was going to be seven doors. Mm. But then seven I Seven real- doors? Yeah. Now, what's the difference between a veil and a door? Well, they both represent a threshold. Okay. But a door you kind of have to open. Okay. And a veil by its very nature is something you can see through. Mm. So it covers you, but you can also see through it. Gotcha. So a veil, a veil happens naturally in nature, mm-hmm. like a fog or maybe rain sure. or snow, but we all, you know, or the mist. Mm-hmm. So there's something very mystical and mysterious about being able to see something, but not that clearly. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, it comes and takes form and gotcha. you begin to understand it. So I think the veil is a beautiful metaphor for transcending through stages of spirituality. Okay. And having been a professional belly dancer for many years and dancing with a veil, mm-hmm. I learned a lot of things about veils. Interesting. All right. And so now what is what is your book about? I mean, obviously, other than the seven, seven veils of Path to Enlightenment, you know, coming from somebody that has no idea what it's like to be a female... <laughs> I need a lot of education in this topic, but I see, you know, the red, the orange, yellow, green, veils, all different colors. Uh, I'm sure they all mean something. Yes. So give me some insight. I'm very curious. Well, I love that you're a man curious about how women experience things. Uh, you know, just because you're in a different body type, mm-hmm. I think it affects the way you look at things. Not, not let alone possible differences between male and female brains or or whether or not they give birth, or whether or not they, you know, develop in a certain way or live in this society. I think it sort of gives you a certain slant, not that our souls are so different, mm-hmm. but our experience, our experiential way of, of relating to ourselves, I think is different. And belly dancing is very much a dance about being a woman. And okay. I could tell you a little more sure. about the history of the dance. Yeah, go into it, please. But also I wanted to say the seven veils are stages of spiritual development Mm -hmm. that I experience myself. But in the book, I compare them to other stages of spiritual development, like the Buddhist stages or or yoga stages or stages of moral development, according to Lawrence Kohlberg from Harvard, Mm -hmm. stages of love, according to Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who's, you know, a very famous analyst who wrote Women Who Run With the Wolves. So I compared my seven stages of experience to some of these ancient and modern notions of spiritual development. Okay. Because being, once you have these kind of experiences, your whole life is altered. 
so I couldn't help but share. So as I wrote, I actually had a friend who's a psychiatrist who asked me to write for part of her book, and she said, well, send it to me, and I'll tell you what I think. Mm -hmm. And I sent it to her, and she said, it has no structure. Mm -hmm. That was before the seven veils. Mm -hmm. So then I took my writing, and I put it in piles, and there were seven piles, and I thought seven doors, and I thought it's not doors. Yeah, <laughs> It's veils, because of course it has to be veils. Gotcha. Interesting. So now, and each, does the color represent the type of, I guess, veil that that a woman would have of in that kind of nature? I think it's probably also the same color for men, and it's analogous to colors in the rainbow, mm -hmm. to colors of chakras. If you know anything about that in yoga, I don't. I don't. Well, the colors of a rainbow are seven colors. You mm. know, the, the number seven is pretty significant. Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Well, you know that better than I do. <laughs> That's it, baby. Eighth grade science paid off. But you got to get to white. White, okay. White. Now, see, it, in light, white is the combination of all of colors. Of all, yes. Yeah. Now, is that a veil that you have in here? Yes. And now, what does that represent? If you don't the ultimate me? veil. Yes. I'm not going to tell you that yet. <laughs> oh boy. White is the ultimate veil. Should we start with the red veil? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, walk me through. You know, I, I, I really don't know too much about any of this. This is completely foreign territory to me. That's part of the reason why I agreed to have you on the show, because I'm very curious to know. And I think that, you know, if I, I typically like to think if I'm very curious in something, you know, more than likely other people are going to be pretty curious in something. And this is something I've had conversations on so many different topics, but nothing like this. So I'm very curious to hear. Well, I'm so grateful. I appreciate that. But but I'm I'm just I always try to learn and because of that, you know, this is very interesting and and it's not often that there is you know, I have people that are spiritual on the show, but it's not so much that that's one of their main focuses is, is the path to enlightenment through spirituality. So that's why I'm very curious as to these different color veils and I mean, feel free to walk me through and you don't have to go too in depth. I want people to, you know, I don't want you to give too much that people are not interested in buying the book because they heard it from you, <laughs> but definitely give me like a little rundown on, on, on all of them. Okay, we'll start with the first one so you get the feel of it. Sure. And also, I know, I don't only think these are stages of enlightenment. I think they're stages of healing. Okay. Like how to find happiness and peace of mind. Sure. So the first is the red veil. And, and poetically, I kind of describe it as wrapping around you tightly. Okay. So you have this red veil, and it goes so far back, you don't know where it's coming from. And it goes so far forward, you don't know where it's leading to. Okay. So this is the root chakra, or at the base of your spine. Mm -hmm. Yogas, yogis might call it the sleeping serpent. Mm -hmm. But it's your connection to the earth. Gotcha. It's your groundedness. And it's the first seven years of your life where fear and courage come up, survival, that sort of thing. It's your tribal connections. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's also, in terms of spiritual development, your place of denial. Gotcha. So you're like almost under the earth. You're okay. not quite toward the light yet. Gotcha. So you're wrapped in this red veil, and it may be silky and beautiful, but it can feel stifling. It could make you feel like you want to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So you want to get out of denial. So now, what would cause that? You know, well, the denial, you don't just want to life, get or because life is hard. Mm -hmm. Denial is your first protection. Okay. You know, when the policeman comes to the door and says somebody was in an accident, people say no. 
No, mm-hmm. that can't be. Yeah. You know, I think it's to protect our mind from too much. Gotcha. So I don't think denial is bad, only if you stay there. So let's say, for example, you're in a very bad relationship and you keep denying it mm-hmm. and you keep getting hurt and you don't realize it's unhealthy for you. When you unwrap this veil of denial, and like every other veil, you're given a gift. Mm-hmm. So when you come out of denial, the gift that's given to you is you recognize you have a desire. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in denial that I have a bad relationship and I wake up and say, this is not a happy place, you recognize I desire a good relationship. Mm-hmm. So I, I ask questions like, what, are, what do you deny yourself? So what in life have you been denying yourself? And um, I think that once you recognize what it is that you want, then that helps you get toward the next step. Gotcha. So that's an example of so recognition's the first, you know, the red veil, basically. Yes, yes. Coming out of your ignorance, stop Mm -hmm. ignoring. Mm -hmm. And also, I in the book I tell my my life story pretty much. I tell at least my life love story. So it's kind of it's kind of about um, it's about love and it's about belly dancing and it's about meditation, Mm -hmm. and and it takes you along this path. So so each stage has something to learn from it so every stage is important Mm -hmm. but i noticed that if you're stuck in a certain stage um it's good it's helpful to to talk about what might be coming next absolutely and now do you feel that a lot of people are really in denial about a lot of things or do you think denial is just the immediate gut reaction for for people you know like you said police come to your door and say somebody's been in an accident and you say no that can't be you know do you think that's just what we're programmed to say is no that can't be because you can't believe it or do you think it's you know they can't believe it until the proof is actually there no i think it's a probably a built-in defense mechanism Mm -hmm. probably in our hypothalamus somewhere or some ancient protection for survival because if you're trying to survive in a traumatic situation a certain amount of denial might be necessary you're not going to think oh god i'm going to die for too long you have to think i have to survive mm. so even though things are you know you have this major challenge but i think it takes time for us to come out of the to come out of the denial and you need to be patient with it yeah absolutely no i i definitely agree with that so all right so that's the red veil so what's the next one i'm assuming so now you figured out you know what's you know your immediate causes to put up this barrier of of, de- of denial what now you know keep walking me through I'm, I'm i'm very interested in learning about this that's nice so as you move up you go into the orange veil and that would be like below your belly button okay and your root chakra so that this is the center of your body where you lived in your mother mm-hmm. you know we all came from this place this mm-hmm. creative place where all the sexual organs the ovaries and you know things like that absolutely so that's the creative space and um what happens here when you come out of denial and you realize what you desire you awaken to sensation okay so it's a sensual place and people love to ignore this also (laughs) but being a dancer you learn very much to tap into your 
your sensuality. Same thing with anybody who practices the arts. And really, everybody's an artist. They just don't want to know that. We're all creating all the time. So this is the place to awaken to the breeze against your skin, the taste of a chocolate kiss, mm -hmm. the, the touch of a massage, the beauty that your eyes see, so that you can learn to look, not just see, hear, not just listen, taste, not just eat. Mm -hmm. To, to trust in the body knowing that, that we're this place where your body starts to form. So I'm a big believer in awakening to your senses, almost like using your animal instincts. Gotcha. And um, so when you are in this orange veil, it's also like the sun coming up, the sunrise and the sun setting. Mm -hmm. And it's the comings and goings. It's the water element. Sure. And so, so it's like you become aware of your sensitivity about things. So I would ask you, what do you think the gift of sensuality is? I'm not too sure. Uh, you know, I haven't put too much uh, thought into <laughs> into it. Honestly, you know, it's not you know it's not something that I think about frequently. One thing I one thing I have done in the past, and I'd like to you know get back into it. It's kind of slipping away from me. Is meditation? I think meditation is is extremely valuable. Not not even for the path to enlightenment because I don't you know I'm kind of iffy on that kind of stuff you know i'm not sure if i believe or i don't believe in enlightenment and stuff like that but i do firmly believe in you know clearing your mind and really kind of focusing and, and stuff like that and taking time to do all of that is so so important because in today's society it's just go 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 you know hey we gotta be here i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this and so infrequently people don't take time for themselves and i'm not saying sitting down watching a tv show by yourself or watching a movie by yourself like i mean really laying down or sitting down however you choose to in, in, to partake and really going through your mind and kind of organizing all the shit that you have going on in there because there's in a regular day and, and i only speak from what i know of but people are just going Either if you're in sales, you're going to sales meetings and trying to close deals and talk about numbers. And then immediately at the end of the day, or if you go to your day job, you're you're so focused on computer programming or helping other people or making, you know, pushing business processes through or managing projects um, or working the projects. There's so many things going on. And then immediately from there, you have, you know, a five minute to hour long commute, however, you know, or if you, you're home and then boom, it's immediately to family time or working on your house or all of these different things that are constantly going on in people's minds and, and their day that at the end of it, you know, you're constantly repeating this, this cycle of just fuckery. It's literally the only way to say it of just got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And it really, you know, I think that's why people have such a hard time with, you know, the red veil in, in your case of, you know, that doubt because they don't take time to really kind of organize the, the garbage in their mind of either whether or not it's them saying, I can't do this or I don't have time for that. You know, there's time if you make time and you really only make time for what you really care about. And that's kind of the way I feel is if you really take the time to sit down, it doesn't have to be for long. It could be five minutes a day of just unplugging from everything. I mean, no phone, no computer, no no media, no podcast, no you know, audio, no, you don't drive when you do this, but just sit down, close your eyes in a dark room 
or a, or a poorly lit room for 15 minutes or, or five minutes and just clear out all that garbage. It's almost more productive than taking a nap and it really kind of prepares you for the for the next step of either your day or even life, you know. Just that that little reset is so, so powerful and really taking the time to, to break away and on top of that, analyze what's going on. You know, did I did what I what I did today, did that make my day better? Did it make my day worse? And why? Mm-hmm. And allowing that to get to you. Excellent. But you're one veil ahead of me. Oh, boy. Because when you do sit down and do that meditation, the stage that we're at now is you first notice, how does my body feel? Now, people love to shut that off. Yeah. Because our culture doesn't celebrate the body. No. Not at all. And you need to reclaim that because there's amazing knowledge in your body. It's taken millions of years for your body to form. Mm-hmm. And so there's a knowing that comes that, that's embodied mm-hmm. literally in your body's awareness. So frequently when you sit down to meditate, the first thing you notice is physical sensation. Yes. You know, absolutely. my breath is expanding and contracting. I feel a warmth in my uh, hands. I feel a tingling in my body. I feel, you know, my heart beating. So whatever arises in the body comes before you get to the mind. So that's why I think this, this veil about embracing the sensuality without making it, especially for women, is very challenging because we've been taught to judge our bodies, alienate ourselves from our bodies, have shame about our bodies. And then you get women to come to a belly dance class and to decorate themselves and move their bodies. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm beautiful. Yeah. Now, why do you think that women have been programmed, per se, to think about their body in that way? Do you think it was, you know, toys like Barbie? Do you think it was reality TV shows? Do you think it's, you know, the fact that some marketer decided that they can exploit uh, females because they could lose 30 pounds in 20 days or if they do this fad diet or, or you know, you need to have bigger lips or bigger boobs or bigger butts or skinnier abs or, or like, you know, men want this and we need to tailor ourselves or do you also think it's part of, you know, Something that's from World War II when the men went off to go to, you know, war and then come back and you had to look good for your man and you had to wear the best uh, perfume and look that good and and that that image that they've created. I I think it's way before that. Really? I like to joke that belly dancing was Eve's first dance, you know, talking about the origin of the dance. It's supposed to be about 25,000 years old. Okay. You know, and even if you think about... Just to digress for a moment, why do people dance at all? I mean, we dance at weddings. You know, people dance at a wedding or a party holding a drink now. You know, I don't know what (laughs) your definition of dancing and my definition of dancing are two very different things. Okay, but my version of dancing at a wedding is nowhere near anything that's going to be on uh, America's Got Talent or anything like that. (laughs) But it's a shame that people don't dance because that's one of the ways to connect with your body. Okay. So it's been something relegated to periphery. And, and actually, if you think about the ancients dancing, why do you think they danced? Mm-hmm. They, it probably made them feel good, I would imagine. Made them feel good. It probably um, was a ceremony to heal someone. Mm-hmm. Probably was fertility rites. Probably was to prepare for the hunt. It was to overcome their fears, to reenact things, to practice them with a whole mind-body experience. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps... 
to create ecstasy okay, or to worship some divine thing or to make it rain. But it wasn't a small thing just to do to get in shape or sure. to have fun. It was a serious, I think dance was perhaps the first religion. Yes. I, I mean, I could probably agree with that. You know, it's just kind of, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't alive that long ago. And, <laughs> and so, so put that in the perspective and then think about the, what is the major difference between men and women? Other than a chromosome? Not much. Well, what do women do that men never do? Reproduce. They give birth. Yeah. That's a big thing. Absolutely. I mean, of course, without the man who gives the spiritual essence, the woman can't bring it into being. So I'm not mm. undermining the beautifulness of the man. Of course. Man's of course. contribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the word mother comes from the word mater, which is the same as the word matter. So here the man gives this little tiny thing that's swimming to, to, to live. Uh, and then she makes it, you know, human, yeah. not alone, but it becomes real. Now that's powerful, mystical stuff, especially to a culture that might not even know how or why it's happening. Mm-hmm. So then you have this um, this mystery of a woman giving birth, and that's powerful. And so why oppress the woman? And maybe at one time she wasn't the oppressed one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to say. There, there are supposedly periods of goddess worship in the ancient cultures where the mother and the earth were worshipped, mm-hmm. which is lost pretty much in our culture unless you look for hidden meanings. Sure. So, so to oppress this power is an interesting cycle. Uh-huh. I think it needs to be brought back into balance, but I don't think it's a small thing. I don't think it's just because women are affected by the media. They're affected by our heritage, the long red veil that goes way, way back. Uh-huh. So who knows? But I do think even today, I wrote a poem in my book called Her. Uh-huh. Perhaps I should read it to you. Sure, if you'd like. If you know where it is on the book. Let me see if I can sure. find it. The, uh, no, it's, that's, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I think that, you know, people as a society have come so far, but we definitely lose touch of our roots. And I think, especially more now than ever, where people are having trouble discerning real and fake history is, is pretty concerning because this year is the first year that college, uh, sorry, high school graduates are going to be learning as 9-11 is a historical event, which is pretty... Shocking. Yeah, shocking for sure, especially because I got to, you know, we got to live through it, but it was, it's more so concerning because we got to know it as it came and and how it's affected people's lives today, but... Now with so many people, you know, oh, they can't know about the the these ridiculously hard facts. You know, there's there's a tremendous part of the population that thinks that the Holocaust is fake, which is extremely concerning because you know what does that what does that mean going forward? Absolutely. You know, if if people think that that's fake now, you know, and there's plenty of conspiracy theories and stuff like that, which is fine. But you know, to have these major camps and have proof and people that live through it. You know, once those people pass that have lived through it, you know, now it's up to history books to, to write that and to, to teach and, and show future generations. And 
there's going to be a very large, you know, we, we learn about things that happened hundreds of years ago, but what about the stuff that's happening in our most recent, like, present, you know, within one generation before and, and after? That's where it gets really concerning because, you know, things that happened years ago, yes, do they impact today? Yes. Vanderbilt and, and the railroad and all that stuff is extremely important. But the stuff that's happened, you know, that we live through, but the future, the current generation is not, you know, to preserve that real world history that actually happened and is completely untouched by book writers or people writing or, or, or reporters and stuff like that is, is so powerful in my opinion. You're right. The stories have to be told. And sometimes when sometimes when we think about the past, you don't want to repeat it, right? You oh, don't yeah. want to repeat it. And and sometimes it's still going on. So when I wrote this poem, I was sort of shocked. Actually, the woman who wrote Eat, Eat Pray, and Love was giving a lecture. And she said, when, when some poem or some inspiration comes through you like a freight train, just write it down. Fair enough. All and right, I let's wrote hear this it. down, and I was surprised it came from me. Sure. I didn't know I was feeling this way. But it's called Her. It says, cut off your clitoris, bind your feet, take away any opinions, and trade yourself for cattle. Give away your firstborn daughter, offer sex for survival, and whisper the name of the divine as an abomination. Cut off your left side, the feminine side, and view things with one eye. Call God only a he, and believe in the punitive. Stuff your beautiful belly into tight, breathless ties and walk on pinched toes. Cover your face and don't vote. Or whisper the word goddess in your granddaughter's ear. Dance with beads and coins on your hips and symbols on your fingers. Proclaim a beauty that shines even in old age. Speak your truth with kindness and breastfeed your children. Birth your boys and girls in love and be the love you wish to receive. Share your wild woman wisdom with a passion for the natural. Sing with the wind in your hair and wear it any way you like. Let your anger melt like ice in the sun. Caress Mother Earth, your mother, your mother, your father. The feminine way of forgiveness does not cut anything off. We are all encompassing. Embrace all of life, and again, whisper the name of the divine for all to hear as love. Very impactful. So I had no idea I was carrying that energy about women being exploited and oppressed. Mm -hmm. But I guess it was in there. And I think it's still in there for a lot of women, whether they're sure. conscious of it or not. Yeah. And so this coming out, when I teach women to belly dance, which I've been doing for many years, and I'm grateful to my own teacher, mm -hmm. they say, oh, my God, this is life altering mm -hmm. because now I'm learning from my body wisdom. I'm not rejecting my body. Mm -hmm. I'm, the split between the natural and the spiritual is not separate. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're here on this earth, but we're having a spiritual experience in our physical experiences. So reclaiming the body, which is the second veil, is mm -hmm. really important. And what's the gift of understanding your sensuality? The gift is insight. Sure. Because it's not coming from logical thought. It's coming from a kind of openness. Like I said, looking 
instead of just seeing and he- hearing, instead of just listening and mm-hmm. tasting and experiencing the wisdom of the body. Sure. Instead of cutting yourself off at the neck and walking around like you're a head. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when people actually do this, it could be, it could be any number of ways. Mm-hmm. But we don't do rain dances. And we don't praise God by dancing. And I believe that if we did, it would be more of a mind-body-soulful connection. So to bring back the sensuality, to know that when you're touching someone, you really feel them, and to be aware, almost like, like you know, an animal that can hear and move its ears, to, to um, celebrate uh-huh. your body. I think that's part of spiritual development. So that's the second stage, second veil. Gotcha. How are you doing over there? I'm doing good. No, I'm doing good. Um, no, a lot, definitely a lot of thoughts going on. Um, so if you could help your woman, if you have one, mm-hmm. or any man listening out there to, you know, learn to see her body as something for expressing and experiencing life, not just an object to be looked at. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because when you first start dancing as a belly dancer, you're decorating yourself like crazy because mm-hmm. you're trying to recreate the goddess. Yeah. Just like you want your, your, your man to be the god. He mm-hmm. wants you to be the goddess. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing to celebrate. Absolutely. So um, that, that's where I'm at on the second veil. That's fine. Keep rolling through. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly forming an opinion and thoughts, and, and my brain is just constantly just absorbing and thinking and, and not so much contradicting, but I'm just trying to, to add reality in there. You know, reality is a huge factor for a lot of people. So, you know, for most people, you know, for example, praising their, praising their body as this almost temple-like thing that, that can create life. I firmly believe exists on the flip side though is women also need to women and men but women need to realize that that is their body and and that's how they should treat it and on the flip side too is you know men really appreciating what a woman brings into their their world or you know they're they're carrying life you know we're not um you know, asexual creatures that can just reproduce, you know, on our own. We, we need the assistance of a partner. And I think that reality has separated so much of, of that to, you know, hey, I have a girlfriend. You know, oh, I'm also interested in this girl and I'm also interested in this girl. And, you know, hey, you know, instead of really appreciating and, and I keep always rolling things back to meditation and really kind of stepping back. Right. And and realizing, you know, I'm a firm believer before, you know, men start to even realize that that's what women can kind of, I don't want to say become, but how they should how they should think is, you know, you can't help anybody else before you until you until you are helped, you know, and not and not even so much you're helped, but until you begin to help yourself. And without that, you know, unfortunately, I don't think men will you know, most men will ever realize that that's pro- that's what's going on in maybe their mind or something like that because so many people need to help themselves before they even have those crazy ideas. I shouldn't even say crazy ideas, but those ideas about other people where that's kind of like where reality comes in because most people have such a hard time separating, you know, that go, go, go culture 
to let me just look at everything that I have. You know, I know so many people that are so, so strung up on, I have this, or I have this, I have this. You know, I've seen the happiest guys in the world have $40,000 to their name and, you know, an okay job where they get paid okay money with okay benefits and, and, you know, but at the end of the day, their bills are paid, everybody's happy in their house, everybody's healthy, and they are so happy for that. And then there's people that have more money than God and are rich as could be, and they're absolutely miserable in so many regards. And it starts with yourself. It doesn't start, you know. Well, that's why I I talk about these stages of spiritual development, because it is stages of how to get happy. It's stages of how to be at peace with yourself. And in terms of reality, maybe reality is the testing ground for our spiritual development. Sure. And, and I also believe reality is malleable. Oh, 100%. 100%. But you got to want it. You know, you got to be willing to change. Change can't just, you know, happen. Yes. You know, intention. Yes. You know, you have to read a book. You have to learn. You have to maybe have a teacher. You really have to stop and, and, you know, for somebody that that might not want to say, hey, you know, I want to read a book, you know, they just have to sit down and realize, you know, all these kinds of things, you know, and I haven't read your book, are pretty self-explanatory but i think what books do because i'm a pretty big advocate in reading books lately is they help organize everything and they help kind of take you through the process because if you just try to sit down and say hey this is my body this is the temple this is you know this is how i want to be treated you know it's never gonna work because it also involves inspiration yes you read the book you're going to be inspired by my story absolutely and you don't feel so alone because you know you're not the only one having the experience Mm -hmm. but but yes should i take you up to where you are in the third veil let's do it i'm in the third veil is where you're going to start doing the meditation okay Mm -hmm. so the third veil is the yellow veil Yellow is very bright. Mm-hmm. It's full of a lot of light, right? Gotcha. So here you are standing on this little blue planet, looking into outer space. And what do you see? You see Dot. galaxies. Dots st- in the sky. Stars. But you know that they're galaxies and of course. multiverses, perhaps. Unless you're even. a flat earther. Yeah. I, I know one. I know one. <laughs> Anything's it's... possible. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, so... Besides observing your environment, Uh you also do something very strange that I'm not sure any of the rest of the animal kingdom does. Mm -hmm. And that is you begin to observe yourself. Yes. So not only do you have consciousness, but you have the ability to know that you have consciousness. Yes. Like one of the easiest meditations that I learned from Thich Nhat Hanh is that he's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, practice breathing. And so as you're breathing in, you say to yourself, I am breathing in. Mm-hmm. And as you breathe out, you say, I am breathing out. So I, I teach meditation too. Sure. So. so then the next stage is to say, I know that I am breathing in. I mm. know that I am breathing out. So all day long we're breathing in and out, but maybe we don't quite know it. Mm -hmm. So it's this ability to know the self, to be aware of your mind. So once you're aware of your body, Mm -hmm. you start to become aware of your mind. Well, look at that thought I just had. Or look at that, look at that, look where my mind just went. This is what happens when you meditate. You think you're going to concentrate on the breath, and the next thing you know, you're thinking of something somebody said to you the day before. Of course, yeah, your mind goes awry. Um, 
it's not really a ride because I personally believe, because I like mindful meditation versus concentration meditation. Okay. But I believe that when you pay attention to your mind, if it has something really important to tell you, it's going to fixate on that until you get it. Of course. And you have to I listen. I do agree with that. You have to listen to your mind. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore yourself. Absolutely. Otherwise, you'd be back in the red veil of denial. Yes. So maybe you need to sit with the thought for a while and then let it go. Makes until sense. you get to that peaceful place. So this is the stage of, of observation, of observing not only your mind, but the workings of your mind. Okay. Not only what am I thinking, but look at how I'm thinking. All right. It's pretty T- trippy. Yeah, tell me about it. I'm curious. Or is that the, the orange veil? Or the yellow veil, sorry, the yellow This is the yellow veil. Okay. You're doing good. Um, so this is the veil of observation. It's like, I'll give you an example. Till my daughter got pregnant, I didn't notice any pregnant women in my environment at all. All of a sudden, I was opening doors for them. Immediately the start seeing them all. <laughs> or you buy a white car, and all of a sudden, there's so many white cars. Yep. You know, so I think that, you know. I think it's called acute sensitivity. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Versus selective attention. Yes. 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 You're just minorly more in tune with that specific, whatever it may be. If you fixate on the color orange or black or whatever it is, all of a sudden you, that's all you see, but it's because you just changed something so minutely in that regard. So I wrote this part in the book about sitting on a beach meditating because I love the ocean and with the ocean waves are a super mantra. They just keep going, you know, like your breath. Mm -hmm. But I was sitting there, you know, observing myself, observing. Mm-hmm. And and I saw this guy with gray hair in a wetsuit go into the ocean with a pink boogie board, you know, and he was kind of unusual. Then I ended up looking at the seagulls and some other surfers and the sky. And sure. Next thing you know, I, I forgot about the guy with the pink boogie board. Mm-hmm. And I began to wonder, where is he? Did he drown? Wasn't yeah. I watching? You know, did he walk off the beach and I didn't notice? So it's kind of like. When you really tune into this so-called stable reality, mm-hmm. you see that it's pretty impermanent. And we tend to like to think it's permanent. Yeah. Um, you know, life can be created and destroyed pretty quickly as well as pretty much everything we know. Um, Scary thought. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, in the wise words of my friend Dave, uh, and I'm not sure where he got it from, but we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. <laughs> I like that. Which I couldn't agree more with. And, you know. And for connecting with each other like what we're doing now. Because y- we're not alone having this experience. At least I don't believe we are. No, absolutely not. There's 7 billion people on this planet. There's definitely somebody that shares it. So, so the gift of observation is to begin to know the self. Okay. Which you could skip that and go through life without that in some extent. So important, though. I think that's the most important. You know, I'm I'm sure there's probably change in there. But just having the ability to realize oneself is so powerful because without that, nothing else can happen. You know, you might think, you know, something's holding you back or, you know, what your future wants to be like. But there's always that one catalyst. And that one catalyst is always yourself. Always. And not even... You know, even if you want to move forward with enlightenment or, or you know, spirituality or God or whatever it may be, you have to realize where you're coming from. And, and without that, you'll never be able to get where you want to go. 
That's so cool. You're so right with me. Because one of the things I talk about in the in this veil is the story of Moses, you know, mm-hmm. which is a story about him seeing a burning bush, which is never gets burned up, kind of like creativity. Mm-hmm. And um and he and uh supposedly God says to him, Listen, you have to go back and free your, your people, the slaves. And Moses says, Well, who am I? Yeah. To do that. Sure. And 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 in the the Bible and the Torah, it says, God says, don't worry, I'll be with you. Mm-hmm. That's a funny answer to who am I? Yeah. And then then Moses says to God, but by the way, who should I say you are? Yeah. <laughs> no, who should I say told me this? Yes. And that's when he says the famous thing, I am that I am. Yes. Which in the original translation comes out to be, I am what I was, what I am, and what I always will be. Mm-hmm. So this concept of the divine is a continuous thing not the impermanent thing we think of ourselves as. I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. Of course. I, I would look like that. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, life so, is always changing, yeah, ever-changing. So, so um, the, the, the antidote to impermanence in some ways is this connection with the continual divine. Mm-hmm. So once you begin to observe yourself and you say, who am I? You may not have a specific answer, but you're questioning and then, like you said, you have a base with which to view other things from. And once you start to question, well, what am I really? What I think you find out is that what you're really made of is the same energy that created you. And what do you think that energy is in a perfect world? <laughs> the energy that makes us... Mm-hmm. Think of how you got here. Probably, I mean, love... Yes, 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 yes. Also a firm believer in that too. Right. So the energy, if you think of two people loving each other and then this baby is born. Sure. You know, you and that's the fourth veil, the veil Mm. of love. Okay. So I don't know if I should keep going, but. That's up to you. I mean. In this, in the story. You know, if you want to leave the rest of it for people's minds to explore, by all means. But I'll just give you the, the, you know, my love story with my husband is, sure. is in this book, which is kind of up and down and all around the town. Sure. And, you know, and challenging. And, of course, this is my second marriage. So okay. I know heartbreak and Absolutely. I know healing. And sure. I know that. And I do healing work as a polarity therapist. Mm-hmm. And, and it is all about um, understanding that for example, to observe the self is its own self-corrective mechanism. Awareness sure. already begins to heal you. Sure. And then to open your heart to love is one of the greatest ways. You know, we all love things. We just don't want to maybe admit it. We're I in agree. love with many things. Yep. What do you love? Long list. Long list. Uh, you know, I, as weird as it sounds, I love having good interactions with people. Um, you know, that's probably, um, you know, yeah, but for my listeners from definitely the conversations that I've had with other people, but you know, we've come so far away from being able to share, uh, emotions with other people where it's, uh, not so much unacceptable, but it's infrequent, um, that they're happening and really having, um, you know, connections with people and being able to stay in touch with people. And I think so many people are so hung up with oh you know they have that 
terrible this sounds terrible but this, that high school mentality of you can't be friends with that person or you can't think that way or you know that's not you know the way it's supposed to be and and you know the way i've started to start looking at life is you know high school and middle school and elementary school and even even most parts of college are just the they're just getting you on the same plane as other people yeah, you know, if you have, if you come from a, a pretty rough background, yeah, you probably got, you got to work a little harder. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Other people will definitely have an easier time getting there. But, you know, it's kind of like summoning a mountain where, you know, there's only going to be a handful of people that get to the top. And getting to the summit itself, which is the, the base of a mountain, or what they classify as the base of a mountain, is already a challenge for most people. And what I think school and stuff like that provides for you, or sh- tries to provide for you is the ability to get to that summit where pretty much everybody now is on the same playing field mm-hmm. you know some people are going to have better advancements or have better equipment to help them get to the top of the mountain and 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 that's all well and good but once you get there with people you're you now can really kind of venture off and go up a different part of the mountain or a different struggle in life or learn from different things and the people that make it to the top that everybody either aspires or doesn't like because they made it to the top, um, people have this this concept of, oh, they were given that or, you know, they did this. No, they played their cards right. They took the time to either sit down with different people and learn or they took the time to financially gain more to allow them to escalate higher to the, higher on the mountain. or And there's people that just are comfortable at the summit and – those people that are just comfortable at the summit, at the base of the mountain, where they got through most of, you know, the beginning parts of life, you know, if you're fu- if you're okay with being there, that's fine. But you have to understand that you are allowing yourself to be okay being there. You know, you can't blame other people for things that you, ki- I don't want to say did to yourself, but, you know, where you're given pretty much the same tools. And if you really want it bad enough and you're going to struggle and, 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 and overcome challenges... There's no reason why you can't get to the top of the mountain. And everybody's going to end up on this different peak or part of it. And you have to be okay with that. And, and, and that's, what I, that's, that's what I really love is the fact that I get to have these interactions and stuff like that with different people and family and friends and, and loved ones. Is everybody's always at this different part. But love kind of brings you all together. Mm. You know, it's, it's the people that think that it's kind of stupid or bullshit you know oh i could do this on my own i could do this on my own you know we're humans we're we're made to overcome and adapt and sharing those interactions with people is so valuable because instead of you just trying to climb this mountain by yourself doing it with a team of people is so much easier and overcoming fears and 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 having the courage to just kind of take that leap of faith and people are like, oh, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to get in, you know, you're going to get hurt or you're going to get injured or, or that's a bad idea. Well, why is it a bad idea? Did you already go through with that experience and you know firsthand that that's a bad idea? Or are you just coming from a place of comfort on the summit saying, oh, going up to the top of the mountain is pretty dangerous and risky? Well, hell yeah, of, of course it is. But that's why there's so few people up there, you know. So you're talking about kind of all the veils together because the red veil is like the junior high school, high school clannish stage yep. where you get your survival things and you're kind of on the same playing field. And then you're going up the summit and you're trying to know who you are and, you know, how to and then you're connecting with people because you, you're looking at who they are also. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the people at the top of the summit are more willing to help you than you might think because they're already there. And they could show you the way. And oftentimes they want to. But I also think that, that part of what I would add to what you're saying is that you have a blueprint inside of you mm -hmm. for this architecture to be happening. Sure. So what are your natural born gifts? What are you really good at? Absolutely. What you've kind of have, I think so often when people raise children, they don't look at who the kid really is. They want him to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. But what are the natural born gifts that you can, you know, cultivate in that child to help them be good at what they're good at you know people so often fixate on oh i've got to fix everything that's wrong with me but what about celebrating what's right with you uh -huh. you know what yep. are your talents what are your gifts what are your propensities what are you bringing to the top of the mountain because mm -hmm. it's not all about just you scaling a mountain it's what are you going to give to the rest of humanity and that's where you connect with this love when you have enough love you can overcome a lot of fears absolutely Absolutely. And because you're on a mission, you're on, like, I'm on a passionate mission to talk to people about self-development and healing and, and enlightenment because I believe it's going to help the world. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's nice for me to express myself and I like people to pay attention to me, but that would not be enough. Yes, yes, you can buy attention. You can't buy changing people's lives. You know, mm -hmm. and on the, same, on the flip side of that, too, is people, you know, you have to want to change. I'm also a firm believer in people need to hit rock bottom. To really know what change is. And not only do they have to hit rock bottom, but they also have to understand that they themselves have hit rock bottom. Because once you're in, if you're in denial that you're not at rock bottom yet, you haven't gone low enough. You know, as terrible as it sounds, you really got to sit right on the bottom. And rock bottom's different for everybody. And then, you know, you got to pick yourself back up, read a couple books, and listen to other people and learn. You know, my biggest thing is learning from other people. I think that there's no amount of value that you can put on learning from other people and and you also teach other people yes that's mm -hmm. that's part of the that's most of the reason why i do this i mean mm -hmm. i'm very interested but i think that if i find something interesting other people are going to find something interesting and i've i've turned down dozens of podcasts but potential podcast guests because what i think that they're going to bring to the table is not something that's going to bring inherent value to myself or anybody that's listening to this and that's one of my struggles with this but being able to connect with people on that playing field and establish those connections and establish kind of like, you know, I might not see my podcast guest for six months to a year, but we've spent so, you know, an hour and a half of uninterrupted time with somebody is a long time. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's great. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I appreciate th it. There's just no, you know, people are like, how do you do that? You know, Oh my God, that's crazy. You know, it's because like, you're connecting on a real level. Yeah. You're not being superficial. Yep. And that makes it so real. And that makes it meaningful and that makes it important and sometimes even life-changing. Yes, 100%. Um, it's just, you know, people don't see it like that and or people... So, so here's the gift of love. Cause okay. I'm just gonna, well, what do you sure. think? Should I ask you to guess? Cause the gift no, of love? There's not just one. Yeah, like you unveil love. You're dancing with this veil of love, which, by the way, is the green veil, like an aurora borealis or a forest, and it's the color of growth. Well, I was just thinking about aurora borealis today, actually. Uh -huh. Weirdly enough, strange. The synchronicity. Um, <laughs> and yes, and that's very weird because I normally, they don't cross through my mind uh <laughs> you're in the love zone That's i just i you know i was just thinking about different things and i'm like you know what haven't i thought of I, you know as i drive i get these weird weird thoughts that most people probably don't even entertain and i'm just like you know, what's something i haven't seen in a while or looked at or you know a different aspect or perspective of different things 
And uh, that was one thing that came across my mind was the Aurora Borealis. See, I think that's a synchronicity. You know, which, uh, do you know, I don't know if everybody knows what that means, but it was a term coined by Carl Jung, who was a, you know, a psychologist who was kind of spiritual in his approach. Mm -hmm. He was friends with Freud, but they were kind of diametrically opposed on certain ideas. And he was dealing with a client who was having a dream about a beetle, like mm-hmm. a scarab. And uh, the, the client was very resistant to any symbology. Sure. Didn't want to believe in the meaning of dreams or anything like that. And just at that moment, a beetle landed on the window and started scratching on the window. Mm-hmm. So uh, a synchronicity is like a, a, a coincidence in time that seems unusual. Yes. Happens so, to me quite frequently, weirdly yeah. enough. See, I think that means you're you're like on a sort of advanced spiritual pathway because it kind of says to you the unseen world and the seen world can kind of mesh. Yeah. You know, the, we don't see the whole spectrum, even if I use colors, but colors is the same spectrum as x-rays and sound waves, you know? Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. When, and, and then it comes to be night and there is no color. So, yeah, you know, what are color. we seeing, you yeah. know? So... So to get in the wavelength of the seen and the unseen, that has a lot to do with the mystical secrets. To be allow yourself to be so sensitive that you're not only privy to logical things, mm-hmm. but you have an openness. Sure. It's not like you're going to say, I know the answer to all the mysteries, but you're willing to embrace curiosity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the gift of love, when you open yourself and you have these meaningful conversations with someone um, there's something that shifts when you start to love yourself and other people and life and nature and your experiences. Um, before I tell you the answer, I wanted to go back to what you said about hitting rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I think, especially when I, I do therapy with people, I know that you cannot look into anyone's eyes who hasn't suffered. Yes. And people love to think, oh, I'm the only one who's been through this hard time and and no one, this person has it made and, you know, yeah. So false. So what happens when you start to love, I believe you unveil your compassion, Mm -hmm. which is the ability to recognize and be with someone else's suffering Mm -hmm. and not necessarily to fix it or to judge it. But just to be present, not push them away. Mm -hmm. That's hard for most people. Very, very hard. Um, You know, having people in that regard not being able to do certain things um, is very difficult. And I like the compassionate part because, you know, when you do realize that there's a problem or an issue... Only then can it be fixed. You can't just go around trying, you know, don't fix something if it's not broken. The age-old saying, which is so true because if you you really can't, you can perfect things. You can tr- you can consistently try to make them better. But if you don't realize that they can't get better in the beginning, and that could even be the issue, then you'll never get to that next level. Um, and with that, I think, you know, that separation of, Again, it's that reality versus, or, you know, their life versus what they really should have 
is so far-fetched for most people. You know, so many people are, are so focused on financial gain and not living the life that they really want to live. You know, I know people that spend hundreds of hours a week at work or, you know, and just work, 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 and they, they lose touch and they lose um, the camaraderie or of their friends and family and loved ones. And, and once you start to realize that, you know, not everybody in this world is out to get you. Um, you know, so many people, like you said, are so willing to help you. And I go back to the mountain analogy, and I just happen to really like that is, you know, the people at the top can't yell to the bottom of the mountain, but they can pass the message, mm-hmm. you know, and the people that are fighting their way up, you know, they might become in in re- in ears reach of what the people at the top are trying to say, you know, they might say, hey, there's an easier route over here, but you got to want to get up there and then start to navigate that weird, this weird serpentine like path to the top and then you know along the way you're going to find people that are going to help either push you or pull you back and you have to realize that that's what people are or are going to do and and not everybody i like to think that everybody in this world is is good but there's definitely not good people in this world you know i'd say the majority of them are and so many people well i think that the people that are not so what you're calling good are still wounded and they haven't resolved it because i'm a big believer that hurt people hurt people so this ability to look at the self and have compassion even to the self even when you re- hit rock bottom to develop that compassion for yourself you know a big part of this is kind of like forgiveness and just move that microphone over just you can't me. you can't forgive yourself if you haven't noticed what you did wrong sure absolutely <laughs> so this this ability to i find that when i'm working with polarity clients the two things that they do is one they isolate themselves by thinking they're the only ones that are hurting they sort of have a victim consciousness frequently sure usually not for no reason maybe they had really Mm -hmm. hard childhoods or things like that and secondly they really haven't forgiven themselves or others i think a lot of it too is is passed on from generation to generation is you know if people also need to understand that what's happened in the past does affect the future absolutely absolutely but if they think that you know oh you know these people suck or this or this population sucks or whatever it is because of that's the way they were raised you know you almost have to take a step back and say you know what's the problem and what's the solution here am i the problem or am i the solution and if you're too arrogant to understand that you might be the problem in that you know you're always going to think a population of people regardless of what ethnicity but just a different you know that population or or group of people their ideas are skewed or whatever it is and you know you talk about the wounded you know maybe the maybe it is the parents that are wounded but as a parent you have to understand too that if you're wounded yes you might want to you know you might want to spite a certain a certain group of people but passing that on to your offspring is probably the most toxic thing you can do because if they walk around with this idea that this group of people sucks or they can't help me you're immediately eliminating a group of people for no reason. And the the world today is so forgiving in so many different ways because, you know, there's I, I heard a story way back in the day, and I forget who told it, but it was um, it was two fighter pilots. I think it was a Japanese and American fighter pilot. And they, were, they were in combat and stuff like that and shooting, and, and they both received medals of, of some sort for, for killing X amount of people. And years later, you know, they happened to, I think 
and and for whoever's listening, don't quote me on the story because I know it's a pretty popular story. But they had they had met up somewhere and they're like, "Oh, you're a veteran of this and this war." Oh my god! And it turned out that they had actually fought each other. And at the end of the day, they ended up hugging each other because that was their job. That was their job was to go yeah. cause pain and suffering to another group of people. Mm. But they're like, "I'm so sorry. Like, I appreciate that, and I appreciate where we've come." You know, that's amazing to me that amazing. people can do that. Mm-hmm. But you have to put aside like hey i'm here to do a job or i'm here to do this and realize that that person's only doing it because that's what they're told to do and that's what they're getting paid to do or whatever it may be and more than more than likely those people are not too different at the end of the day i agree with so much of what you're saying that that people are stuck in a situation where they don't feel like they have choice and also this thing these things and these attitudes have been going on for generations I like to say sometimes to my clients for polarity that because they're the one showing up, that yep. they're the one that can maybe help change the future because, yeah, they're healing their ancestors and their future progeny because they're becoming aware and they're noticing that with observation they might have a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean that we're all victims of being the one who caused the pain and the one who was having the pain caused to them. All of us are imperfect beings. I mean, sure. you can't say you're pure. Mm-hmm. But but I'm I'm also wondering, this mountain of yours, mm-hmm. because you're a man, you're very focused on talking about success. I'm not saying women don't care about success. Absolutely. But the, I think the way men feel about money is sometimes the way women feel about their bodies. Sure. <laughs> and so, so... If what if this mountain were enlightenment? Absolutely, it, the mountain doesn't have to be financial gain. It could be that mountain analogy could be used for literally almost anything. Mm-hmm. But it's just those people that have found, you know, if you want to sub- substitute to be enlightenment, the people at the top have found enlightenment, and they're just trying to yell down to everybody else because you don't want to come down off the mountain. You work so hard to get there, but you can yell down and tell people and help guide people. The easier way. But you do fall off the mountain frequently. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, depending on what mountain it is, you got to be careful. But, you know, and but it's also realizing that you've fallen off the mountain. Yeah. You're no longer on top, you know, uh-huh. that you have to, you get know. Get back up there. Get back up there. And that mountain could be anything. That yeah. mountain could be physical goals, whether it's, you know, getting stronger, faster, better, whatever it may be. This It could be mental goals. It could be love. You know, it, right. it, it's so easy, you know. High school just prepare you know high school and and school just prepares you to get to that that summit and then from there on out it's your responsibility to get as high as you want on that mountain. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be financial gain. It could be you know some you know look at Gandhi. Gandhi was probably at the top of the mountain for most people. Buddha, same thing on top of the mountain for most people. Um, you know, I see what you're saying. Reaching a level, it, it's just yeah. Yeah, I just that, use the mountain because it's just I like something that, that people though. can visualize. And I like that you. Um, you know, explained it even more to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a big mountain. This, what do you want to do with this life that you have? Mm-hmm. You know, and where do you want to bring it? And 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 yes, I think people struggle like with this fourth veil. Like even in my love story with my husband, I thought, oh, I'm the I've done all this work on myself. I'm going to teach him how to love. And yet, mm-hmm. I think so often he's the one teaching me. Absolutely. You know, because we really humankind doesn't have an easy time with this love issue with any issue you know it doesn't it, <laughs> it, it really doesn't have to be just love you know love love is just what you focus on primarily and 
there's so many different things that, you know, even master everything can learn something from somebody else. And Mm -hmm. I think when you become a master in any, in any field, whether it's, you know, being religious or being spiritual or being political or being financial, you know, if you're master in any field of that nature of any of any field you know there's so many different things that can happen in that regard but it's the people that become masters are the ones that are willing to learn from everybody no matter what you might have this extremely deep knowledge of a field of expertise of whatever it may be but the truly the people that are truly successful are the ones that can listen to somebody else regardless of how much money they have and say hey you know either i like your idea but this is what works for a lot of people you know or for myself and this is what worked and i value your opinion and i value your idea and your idea could probably integrate with something that i've done you know maybe there is something that i'm doing wrong and there's that constant learning that i think separates the people on top of the mountain from the people that are just below the top because maybe they're just done learning or they're done trying to view other people's perspectives and when that happens you pretty much sacrifice everything because to get to that level is you have to be open-minded you have to be willing to learn you have to be able to hear other people and that's really what i think separates them from everybody else that's interesting so it's kind of like Well, I remember reading in a book called Zen and Martial Arts about how once you become the master of one thing, you understand mastery of other things. Yes. Which is why I believe becoming a professional belly dancer and being so good at it, even though I was an art teacher and I have had many other jobs, an interior designer. Sure. You know, know, even, but becoming, learning what it means to be good at anything. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you look at a little kid learning to walk. Yeah. You know, if you really look at it, it's the paradigm for how to be good at anything. Uh, yes. The dedication, the practice, the trying even when you fall, mm-hmm. the the believing that you can do it. The whole thing is kind of there like a hologram of the, mm-hmm. you know, the microcosm of the macrocosm. So that, Absolutely. So that, yeah. I think a lot of times in my life I declared myself the expert before I became it in my mind. Absolutely. Oh, you kind of have to in real life. Yeah. You get this desire Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, leads you. And that's like, you know, removing the denial. This is something I really want to do. I really want to get to the top of that mountain. Yeah. See it. Then you become open and you become observant and you become, you know, and then hopefully love also helps to ameliorate some of your fears. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, to get back to love, too, I think so many people are so afraid to love or, you know, and people are like, oh, you know, love and that's used so loosely. But, you know, it doesn't need, you know, you define it as you define it. And, you know, I love a lot of things. I love my friends. I love having interactions with people. I love, you know, I happen to love what I do now. And I, I love the lifestyle that. I'm I'm creating for myself and the people around me and I'm I love the interactions and the the set and I love the satisfaction I get to help other people and and kind of taking that guard down and showing people who you really are um, was a huge step for me as far as the denial and stuff like that because you know realizing that there's a level of denial of hey I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this you know maybe you have to realize that you know those aren't practical in your life and 
and taking a step back and saying, I can change that is tremendous. And, and, you know, realizing that there's a barrier there and not even so much getting by it, but, you know, you don't have to burst through barriers. Just walk around and there's always easier ways, you know, <laughs> honestly, you know, right. the, the, uh, what is it? The adjective, you know, the adjective, the squirrel did what to get to, you know, to get through the fence, you know, went over it, under it, through it, you know, that's the same thing with everything in life. You know, if there's a barrier there, go around it, go, th- you know, go, you know, you don't have to go through it. Going through it's probably the hardest way. Go over it. If you're close to the ground, go under it, you know, walk around it, you know. There's another thing that I, that I'm inspired to share with you uh-huh. from that image of the barrier. Because when people come for polarity therapy, which is kind of a mind-body healing modality, mm-hmm. that's a combination of Eastern and Western philosophies. Sure. So it's kind of like, um, verbal counseling but with also body work so that you do tap into the body knowing that we talked about before sure and a lot of healing happens even non-verbally but the barrier sometimes for a lot of people it's fear you know we all have fears because it's there to protect us it's not a wasted thing but if the fear makes you immobile then Besides going around the barrier, sometimes it's good to be with the barrier and not reject it, mm-hmm. which is going to take us into the next fail. Sure. But it's kind of like accepting your shadow side. Mm-hmm. So what is it? I mean, what, what parts of me do I not want to see? Mm-hmm. You know, there's this experience that I do with clients sometimes where... Um, you'll be doing body work with them, which means that they're lying on a table with all their clothes on and you're doing healing, energetic touch, as well as talking to them, mm-hmm. which is very different from other... Is this like Reiki? It's, yes, except Reiki usually doesn't have physical touch and okay. there's no talking. Gotcha. So it's a way... Polarity is a way of connecting mind and body. So let's say the person says, okay, I, when I, I, how are you feeling? Well, I have this feeling in the pit of my stomach. And Mm -hmm. so I might say, well, you know, could you tell me about the quality of the feeling? Mm -hmm. Well, is it dense or is it light? Is it hot? Is it cold? Sure. Is it vibrating or is it like a rock? Mm -hmm. You know, so then as they explore that and they talk about the feeling, first of all, right away, paying attention to it begins to change it. Mm -hmm. Then, Then this is something that I learned from an embodiment training, which said, now picture what shape it has, this feeling you're having. Sure. Stay with me here because it's a little wild. So you say, okay, it's like a round shape, but it's kind of like an amoeba, Mm -hmm. you know. And then you say, can you give that shape eyes Mm -hmm. so we can relate to it? Sure. Like it's an energy here or or an entity here or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I don't believe me. I come from a really scientific group of medical doctors in my background. So doing this kind of work is pretty trippy, but, <laughs> but, but it happens. So every single time I have asked a client to imagine the eyes, the eyes never look like human eyes. Never. Never. Yep. They look like doll eyes or then you anthropomorphize eyes or googly eyes. Yeah, but I think it's because this shadowy thing mm-hmm. is some part of themselves they don't want to feel. Mm. they don't want to say it's me gotcha so this is my fear this is my sickness this is my dis-ease this is my 
I like how you trauma. put the dis-ease in there. And, yeah. and this is my word. trauma. This is my family's problem that's been living for generations. You know, This is some artificial thing that I don't want to be with. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we're not going to be with it now. But yeah. eventually, people are so smart. The average human is so amazingly. People love to say people are stupid, but if you give them half a chance, they're brilliant. And, they, and I watch them so, heal themselves. I like that quickly. thought really quick, and I want to play on that. Do you think you have to give people a half a chance or do you think you have to let people figure out the half a chance? Like, instead of saying, oh, you know, hey, think about this, you know, and forcing them to think about it, saying, hey, you know, they need to think about it on their own. I think it's both. It depends upon the person. Okay. If somebody's really lost, you're not going to keep saying, okay, just keep wandering around the forest. You're going to take their hand and help them. Mm-hmm. You're not going to leave them. But they got to want to help. They got to yeah. want help. If you don't want help. You know. Well, you know the joke about the light bulb? How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? No, I do not, but I'm curious to hear it. Three, but the light bulb really has to want to be helped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but, no, but p- yes, people are resistant, and you know, but we're all resistant. It's that denial. But with patience, that's why I'm saying if we go back to the barrier, mm-hmm. you know, there's a barrier. Now, you have to decide, do you want to deal with that in this lifetime? Maybe you don't. Maybe next yeah. lifetime, but if there is such a thing. But but to be with the difficult mm-hmm. or the uncomfortable is an acquired taste. Sure. Like tasting fine wine. And as we said before, most people don't want to really be with sympathy. They just want to fix it. Mm-hmm. And they do that to themselves, too. So if you're having a dilemma and you sit down to meditate, for example, sure. and you're suffering because of something, Sure. You were hurt some way. Absolutely. You, there's a way to, to rock with it, to be present with it. Mm-hmm. I often use the analogy, if there was a crying baby in the room, what would you do? Would you just ignore it or tell it to shut up? No, you would pick it up. You would find a million ways to soothe it if you could. Yeah. And we need to do that for ourselves. Well, our parent needs to get in some trouble if they're leaving crying babies around. Um, but no, I definitely... Uh, so this yeah. barrier, you could be like, well, so what is the barrier? What's it made of? What yeah, you got to identify like? it. You really, yeah. you really, you know, that analogy is just so simple, but it's, you know, figuring out what that ba- barrier is. Is it you? Is it another person? Is it a? Is it an idea? Is it a fear or is it a idea? Or there's so many things that, you know, I just try to use metaphors for a lot of things so people can really put together, it's good. you know, could be a closed place. Maybe you're not supposed to go there. Maybe that barrier is supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, and 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 it comes back, you know, and, and then I bring it back to self-realization, which is, you know, what is the barrier? You know, realizing what the barrier is, and then now you have options. You know, once you fit, once you you know, identify, adapt, and overcome is the military's saying for most things in life. Hmm. So, you know, identify what it is, and I'm and I'm not a veteran by any stretch of the imagination, but I happen to know quite a few veterans, and I like the idea of identify what it is, adapt to it. You know, is it something that you need to push through? Is it something that, you know, if it's an area that you're not supposed to go into and it's your way of your life telling you or your mind telling you, you know, you're not supposed to go there, great, go around it, you know? Or is it, you know, figure out what that is and then overcome it. You know, don't, if you sit there with it for too long, it's going to consume you. There's no doubt about it. You know, 
if you spend too much time around something or some or something like that, it's just going to consume you. If it's video games, TV, friends, whatever it may be, too much of of anything is bad. And then overcome it. Realize that either it's a fear or a problem or something like that and overcome it. And overcome it could mean so many different things, whether it means destroy it, whether it means go past it, go around it, go through it, whatever, or, or, or you know, demolish it completely and make it never a barrier again. There's so many things that can be done in that Or regard. turn around and notice the path behind you that's not barricaded. Yes, absolutely. Yes. You know, just, you know, go, yeah, anything right. like that, you know, it doesn't have to, you know, even the... People went over the Great Wall of China, you know, the biggest object in the world. Let's just, you know, you know, there, how, how many ways is there to do it? You can go over you it, can you can build go under it. it. You could get around if you're determined it. enough, you mm-hmm. can get around, you can walk mm-hmm. around it, yeah. you know. But is it easier to go over it? Yeah, of course. Scale it, you know. You don't have to go through it, you know. Right, right. A more gentleness. That's where the compassion comes in. Mm-hmm. The compassion for yourself and how you're dealing with something and, and what, what your different ways of adapting to it. Sure. And always allowing yourself to be flexible in your mind and in your heart. Mm-hmm. The, the, the love veil gets to the place in your heart where you're not just in your mind and you're not just in your animal self. You're the melding of the animal and the spiritual in your heart. Sure. Because you have your emotions to guide you, which, by the way, I, be, I really believe in emotion. Sure. I believe that in our culture... Maybe worldwide, I don't know. People have been taught that feelings are bad. Mm-hmm. There are bad feelings and good feelings. Sure. And I think that that's not true. There are bad actions and good actions. But there are no bad feelings because sure. they contain intelligence. Getting Absolutely. back to the idea that people are smart. So, for example, if you have anger, you know, if you have anger and you hurt someone, mm-hmm. that's not a good thing. Absolutely. Usually, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, if you have anger and it's coming up and telling you, wow, I really need to protect myself, Mm -hmm. that could be a very good thing. So the idea that our emotions are filled with intelligence, um, this is really weird. I've never shared this before, but Mm -hmm. there's a little game I've been playing on my phone, you Mm -hmm. know. It's a game about finding hidden objects. Okay. And then you get clues and you're solving this mystery. Sure. So I notice that I have a visceral response when I see the hidden object before I actually see it, mm-hmm. that I have a gut level awareness and then I see it, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me because people don't want to trust their emotional awareness, sure. which is really part of our intelligence mm-hmm. rather than just something to be controlled. So, so getting, you know... Getting comfortable with love is getting comfortable with this not only mental state, but physical, visceral. It's like the place where the physical and the mental and the spiritual meet. Sure. And um, I think that this path toward enlightenment is woven. Each step takes you naturally to the next step. Mm -hmm. It's not like you have to have it defined by someone else, but to be aware of the natural process in yourself. Sure. And, and um, the whole idea of becoming, you know, enlightened is to do less harm, is to be closer to the forces that are, whatever that is, sure. you know, in everybody's mind, and to know that you're part of this immense experience. Mm-hmm. I actually had a life-altering experience in meditation that I describe in Chapter 4, the love chapter. Sure. Because I was 
actually. If you want to share it, we still have some time left. I was in a really sad place. I was divorced. My children were visiting their father. I was running up an aerobic studio. I was hyperkinetic and very physically fit, Mm -hmm. but very sad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was dating a little bit, but I didn't really care for anybody. So I was meditating every Mm -hmm. single day, morning and night. But I had to meditate almost in the bathtub because I needed to relax my body mm-hmm. and light candles. And sure. and in the middle of this, I became aware that I was not just a victim, that I had hurt people with mm-hmm. my, my attitudes and my sure. thinking, that I had failed in love. I wasn't mm-hmm. just the person who the person left. I, I didn't do it right. Sure. And so for lack of a better word, I was kind of atoning. Mm-hmm. And to top it all off, I was a devout atheist at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. And I started saying, here I am crying and repenting, actually, and saying, mm-hmm. if there's a God, I need to know. If there's a God, would you please show up? Mm-hmm. Where are you? You know, I'm not saying this out loud, of course, but sure. my soul is screaming, yeah. yearning. And my heart is so open that I'm telling you, when I looked down, there was light coming out of my heart. That's amazing. And next thing you know, I was traveling the speed of light. Mm -hmm. And soon I was blasted, like shot, into this streaming, all-loving light. And for Mm. lack of a better word, I was in the light of God, right? Yeah. Here I am, you know, an atheist in the light of God. It was so filled with love, my body could not hold it, and so I had no body. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea how long I was there, but my whole life changed. after that experience and that's partly why i wrote my book that's the real reason not because i love to belly dance sure not because i'm happily married which thank god i am sure but my whole idea of what exists Mm -hmm. was morphed yeah and with my every breath I try to honor that. Sure. And of course I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I do. practice. Yeah, I do and say ridiculous things. But that was, you know, I ran around to libraries and lectures and I tried to figure out what does this mean? What does this mean? And I'll tell you a story from the book. I ran around to a priest and a rabbi and a Buddhist monk. So I, I ran to the priest and I said, what does this mean? Can you tell me what this means? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, well... I think because you weren't brought up in such a strict religious background, you were very open-minded, and so God granted you this gift. Mm-hmm. And I said, thank you. I went to the rabbi, and I said, Rabbi, what does this mean? What does this mean? And he said, oh, well, uh, I, I believe you because Moses was talking to a burning bush, and not only that, you were practicing the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, you were an art teacher, you were a dancer, so already your mind was in a transcendent space, and therefore you were open to this, and it was a gift from God, and, you know, great. So then I go to the Buddhist monk, and this is not just haphazard meetings, I sure. would spend some time with them, and the Buddhist monk said to me, hmm, I don't know what it means, but it happens to me all the time. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so crazy. it's like a funny joke, yeah. right? But the truth is it took me many years to realize that they and this both... this actually happened to you? Yes. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, so I realized over the years that, that, I, that everything they told me was a piece of the truth. And yeah. that it was true that I didn't have a formal upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, and that I, you know, I was practicing being transcendent. Anytime we do the arts, mm-hmm. I think it's extremely healing, any art. Sure. Music, writing, dance, 
singing in the shower, you know, journaling. Sure. Have you ever uh, have you ever read a book called The Alchemist? Yes, I did. Oh, good book. Yeah. Good book. Mm-hmm. Just finished it up the other day and it was quite eye-opening. I'm very interested in people that have had, like, people call these near-death experiences, alternative. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. I, In fact, I joined the Noetic Science Institute and... That's an amazing organization. It was started by an astronaut. Uh-huh. Uh, Mitchell was his last name, and he was in outer space looking at the Earth, and he had this epiphany, this wild experience, seeing the Earth as alive uh-huh. and like a cosmic energy. Sure. And so he came back and formed this noetic science. And there are people that go there that share that they've had. I don't think it's really so unusual to have this experience. At one time I thought, well, I must be special. But now I think it's just that I've been given this almost obligation, never mind gift. Absolutely. And I I used to not be able to talk about it without Mm -hmm. crying or thinking people would think something weird about me. But I don't care anymore because I think what's more important is teaching that this love that emanates... Sure. is what we have to align ourselves with. And sure. that will get you to the top of your mountain. Absolutely. Whatever your mountain is, as you said, because you realize you're not separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not separate from life. You're not separate from nature. You're not separate from the earth and other people. You're sure. connected. Yeah, absolutely. You're not separate from the light that runs through the universe. Mm-hmm. Now, how we handle all that knowing, I'm not sure. But when you're on the right path, I think things happen to reassure you. Sure. That that this is the right path. And that's that's what I want people to be inspired to find their own way of being, their own way of actualizing, self-actualizing, their own way of healing. Sure. Healing means to be whole, which mm-hmm. is the same root as the word holy. Mm-hmm. So there's so much wisdom around us from ancient and modern times mm-hmm. that if we just open ourselves to it, I think it comes to us. I like that. We just crushed an hour and 26 minutes. Wow. Goes like that. And it was so easy to talk with you. Told you. It's not bad. <laughs> uh, so I want people to find out about you, find you. Know, find you. How, how do they find out about you or find, do you have a website, social media, anything like that? I wouldn't give any, I wouldn't give a phone number. Well, one thing you could go on Amazon and buy my book, Seven Veils. Okay. Or you could go to MeredithNarisi.com. Or you could do Meredith's Healing Arts. Okay. And you'll find me, Meredith's Healing Arts. Perfect. Because I believe in the arts as healing. I agree. I would love to connect with anybody listening who's interested in knowing more. Sure. And I really, really want to thank you. Sure. No, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on the uh, on the show. I would. I wish I could stay longer, but unfortunately today is a, one of the busier days I have Um but I really appreciate you coming down and taking some time and talking to me. I think you gave me plenty of time. I, I'm very <laughs> grateful. <laughs> I appreciate you coming down. Thank you. All right, Meredith, until the next time. Thank you. I welcome. hope there is a next time. I'm sure there will be. <laughs> Take All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. Uh, I really do always enjoy my podcast. There's really, I don't even want to say there's any that I really haven't enjoyed. I, I try to pick my guests, um, you know, based on their personalities. People clam up on the on the podcast because they're not used to being recorded. But uh, other than that, honestly, I really just have these amazing conversations and I get this interaction with people that you never really get otherwise. Um, 
So huge thank you to Meredith for coming on the show. I hope you guys learned something, uh, either about me or about her, um, and kind of about spirituality. Uh, I think it's super, super important, regardless of religious beliefs or anything like that. Um, you know, there's so there's so much good in this world and and love to share, uh, and I don't think it gets announced enough. So that was really warming to have her on my show um, and kind of speak about that kind of stuff. As always, if you made it this far and you haven't subscribed already. Honestly, I don't know what you're waiting for. I'm constantly producing good content. I got tons of good podcasts coming up um, that are just going to, uh, you know, knock it out of the park, as weird as that sounds. I really, really do appreciate the support and the learning that you guys are getting. And there's nothing more rewarding than when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, man, I love your show. And I haven't talked to them in years. That is so impactful to me. Um, so I really appreciate that, guys. And uh, stay tuned for the next one. Until then, peace.